Our text this morning is in the book of Romans, chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And as we read these words, um, I assume for many of us we'll have the testimony of Lillian in the back of our minds. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Have you ever said to yourself in your own mind, or have you expressed verbally to yourself or to someone close to you something like this at any point in your life? I could have done that better. I could have said that differently. I wish I could redo that moment. It didn't go like I thought it was going to go. And as a self-reflective person, be able to think about your role and to go, my reaction, what I did in that moment could have been done better. I would assume that each one of us can say, I've been there. And I'm actually assuming that many of us could say, I've been there even today. Some of us can say, uh, yeah, this week there was something that happened in my family or with my children or with a coworker or with someone just out in public. And I wish I could redo that moment because I could have done it differently. And I wish I did it better. Part of being a human being for you and for me is that it feels like life is just a series of reactions. That reactions happen in our lives just as part of being a human. In fact, our brains, we have enough science now to tell us that we have a reflex in our brain, especially in moments where we experience a violation of love or a violation of trust or an experience of fear, or experience of frustration, that, that in those moments we have this automatic reflex in our brains to react. And on the contrary, when we experience an amazing moment of love, and an amazing moment of trust, and an amazing moment of joy, our brains react as well in the positive. But what we know from just science is that our brains and our reactions most of the time 
will go negative. Most of the time when we experience a violation of love and trust, our brains will go negative. And we find ourselves as human beings reacting all the time. Now here we are in Romans, and we have this series titled Reset, and I'm grateful for this series, and I'm grateful for this text this morning, as hard as these words are that we have read together, because we all long to reset. At least we should. We all long and can own that we can do life better and that we can treat people better and we can say things differently and we could have done something better. And and in what we see this morning is this opportunity to reset the way that we react. I mean, the, the words of Romans 12 are profound, right? They begin with this in view of God's mercy. Because of God's mercy and his love and because of Jesus, you and I who follow Jesus are new creations. We're new people. Other scriptures will talk about the old is gone and the new has come and that we've been given new clothes and we've been given a new identity that the person that we once were because of God can actually experience transformation, forgiveness, and change. In fact, Romans 2 talks about that, we're, that we have this opportunity to renew our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, what we read in Romans is what's just now catching up in brain science, this idea of brain elasticity. We used to think that you're our reactions, right? You, just, you are who you are. And so when something bad happens, I just snap or I just hide. I either fight or I flight, and that's just who I am. And what research is showing us is that you can actually retrain your brain. You can respond and react differently. And Romans 12 tells the follower of Jesus that we can renew our minds, that the way we respond, the way we react can actually be transformed. And we can experience the reset. And we can experience a renewal. In view of God's mercy, we are new people. And the good news is that we can be the kind of person that we're called to be in these scriptures. This is good news that our minds can be renewed. It is good news that our reactions can change. It's good news that you're not stuck and I'm not stuck in the most negative parts of the way that we respond to life. And that's really what our text is today. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty straightforward text. It's a, it's a list of ways that we are called that when we experience this, this is how I'm calling you to live as a follower of Jesus. These are the reactions. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. The text is pretty straightforward. And the challenge with the text is for those of us who have been in church a while, We know these words. We know many of them. We may not have seen them all together all the time in Romans. I mean, first, these words are just soaking in the teaching of Jesus. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you see it showing up here. If you're familiar with other teachings of Jesus, they show up here. This idea of loving enemies and responding to the way we are supposed to respond to enemies. But when we learn these verses in little pithy moments and not all together... How would we teach that this morning? What does that look like? And so really what I'm calling the sermon and what I'm calling myself to this week and what I'm calling all of us to is to be the kind of people, and the title of the sermon is called Rooted Reactions. What do our reactions look like when we are rooted in Christ? 
When we are rooted in the knowledge of God, when we are rooted in an understanding of who God is and how he's made us, that should change the way you and I react. I mean, in the book of Romans, we spent 11 chapters speaking about the deep roots of God and the love of God and the grace of God and this, this theology of how this all works. It is deep, deep roots. And in chapter 12, now it's like, so how are we supposed to live in light of being rooted? And we find these words in Romans, the application to all of this rootedness. This is how it should show up in your life. It's a call to be rooted. There's this moment in verse 19 that we've just read that gets used, frankly, out of context a lot, where it says, uh, it says uh, don't, don't do God's wrath. Let God do that. Um, you don't need to avenge for God. Uh, let him do that. His wrath is all on God. And really, that gets used a lot in, ter- in terms of Christians. When we see an injustice or we see something going on, we can use that, that scripture sometime as a justification for inaction. Oh, there's something wrong. It's really not yours to avenge. God will take care of it in the long run. I don't read it that way. Paul has just talked about gifting. He's talked about the church, the need to be all together, this deep rootedness. And what he is saying in the scripture is there is real evil in this world. There are real enemies in this world. And God will be God and you get to be who you are and who God's gifted you to be. Be rooted to God. Be so rooted to God that you understand who God is And be so rooted to God that you don't need to try to be God. Let God do what God's going to do. It's not a call to an action. It's a call to be rooted. And the more rooted we are to God, the more we understand who he is and what he calls his, what what is his to own and what is ours to own as followers. It's not a call to an action. In fact, it tells you to do something. It's a call to action. Move towards your enemy and do these things. But not move away and be distant. It's a call to being rooted, rooted, rooted reaction, being so connected to Jesus, being so connected to the Father, being so connected to his word that we are so rooted in God that when we experience difficulty, we don't try to control it like God, but out of our submissive place to God, our reactions should look a little bit different. Now, reactions, the way I'm using that and the way the text uses it, these aren't inward thinking things. I'm sure they start there for many of us. But what Paul is specifically speaking to in this text is that when this situation happens, you do this. They're verbs. These kinds of reactions and what we will talk about are reactions that people can experience in your life. These are reactions that people can talk about. These are reactions that you can uh, quantify, that you can, that you can recall. These aren't quiet little moments in your brain that nobody experiences. So when you have an enemy or you are cursed by someone or you're persecuted by something, this isn't a call to have a really nice mind in the corner of your home. It's a way of living. So this rootedness is this idea of being so connected to God that the way people experience us, the way we react in certain circumstances, that those are measurable, that those are experienced by people. Now, as a backdrop, before we get into this, it's important to understand a couple of things. One, I want to talk briefly about the audience of this text and also some assumptions in the text. Okay, first, the audience. Up until this point, Paul has spoken very specifically about the way it works within the church community, the believing community, the followers of Jesus. This is how this looks. And remember, in the Roman context, not unlike our context, 
Jew and Gentile, people who've followed God for a long time, people who've just heard about Jesus, all kinds of social stratification happening outside of the church, and there's this call on the community of faith to be something different altogether. There is a shift that happens in this text when we start talking about persecutors and we talk about enemies, that there is a sense that the audience, the people that we're being spoken to here are about those people outside of the church community, and that is incredibly true. However, at Lake Avenue Church, I would argue that persecution can happen from within the church too. And that enemies, sometimes we feel like we have enemies that are sitting on the other side of this room right now. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to let this speak to you, both as a part of Lake Avenue Church or whatever church you're a part of, and also let it speak to you in the way you will live when you leave the church community and your workplace and your family and your world. So we're going to say it's a both and. There's instructions for us, the way we live out there, and there's definitely application for the way we live here. In our family, we don't sit with our boys and go over kind of our expectations of being a Mattisich and say, those rules just really live within our house. And when you get outside of our house, you can treat people poorly. It's almost like the better we do here in our house, you'll be better out there. And I think there's something for us at Lake Avenue in the same way. So it's both for inside and outside, and it's also these instructions are very easy for us to hear and think about myself as an individual, and you should. But the reality is that these are written to the whole community. And so every time you see a you, it's, it's a you all. It's all of you. It would be too easy for all of us to listen to this sermon and to read this text and to think about just me individually, and you should, because there's some reactions you need to own and I need to own as an individual. But there's also a communal call in this text that what is our reaction as the community of faith? How do we do this as followers of Jesus? And my prayer has been that it would speak to you on both levels that the Holy Spirit would guide you on both levels, both for your own individual life and that maybe, just maybe, the Lord would say something to us together today at Lake Avenue Church. There's the audience, some assumptions. One, Lillian has illustrated it better than I ever could. Persecution happens and enemies are certain. Persecution happens and enemies are certain. I will admit to you that I am a limited messenger around persecution happening. Many of us in this room are, however, many of us in this room are not. I know this, it's not a competition. There are some of you who are part of this church community who have fled your country, your home country, because of persecution. And there are some of us who are kind of the weird ones in our family because we follow Jesus. It's not a competition, but it is something that should cause us to have a level of awareness of the span of this. For some have lost families, some have left countries, some of you experience alienation at work because of your belief in Jesus. Marva Dawn has written this incredible book called Truly the Community, and she speaks to this persecution reality piece and uses 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, where it says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, when I was in seventh grade at Forest Home and they gave the invitation to accept Jesus into your life and to follow Jesus, there was no second part of that message that said, once you accept Jesus into your heart, get ready for a life of persecution. 
So I need to say that because we don't talk about it enough. It's part of the gig. She goes on to explain this, that really it's the understanding of the godly life that allows us to understand the persecution piece because a lot of times, especially North American Christians who look like me, we claim persecution when frankly we're just being annoying. There's a big difference between having an annoying faith and a godly faith. She also says this, that persecution on the other side should show up. And she says, we must question the reality of our faith if we're never persecuted. The old saying indicts us, if you're arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If we never experience any hassle from our work colleagues, our family members, our neighbors, or perhaps even people in our own churches who are offended by how radically we try to put on God's love into practice, then we need to check our godliness. Brothers and sisters, persecution happens. It's part of it. And because it happens, these words matter. Because it's part of it, and we should have the mind of Christ. We've we've sung about that today, and we're going to look at it in a moment. The other reality here is that enemies are certain. Again, it's just part of living in a broken world. There will be enemies. And because there are enemies, these words matter. And because there's persecution, these words matter. We ought not be surprised. We can renew our minds. We can be so rooted in Jesus that when these moments happen, we react differently. And so what are these reactions from the text this morning? Just three to highlight to you. There's much more in this text. The first one, if we look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. As a follower of Jesus, may you and I be so rooted in him that we respond with empathy. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn is a call to empathy, a a call to being with someone in both the joys of their life and the difficulties of their life. Empathy implies a witness with others. Empathy implies a presence with others. Empathy means there's a closeness and a relationship with others. And in this context, others both inside and outside of the community. It doesn't say be near those who are mourning and help them rejoice, which is frankly sometimes what we're known for. Oh, you're going through a hard time? Have you read these two verses? I mean, it should pull you out. And there are times because God's word is powerful, that happens. But see, that's God's role to do. Our role in this is being called to be empathetic. Saying that what's going on in you matters to me. Sometimes I think this call is, uh, well, number one, I think all the time this call is incredibly high bar. But I think if we're honest, it's easier to imagine mourning with those who mourn sometimes than rejoicing with those who rejoice. Why is that? I gotta say, as just an update, um, the care and the concern and your generosity and your prayers and your gifts and your cards and your words towards my brother and his family who lost their home in the fire, I have no words. You have mourned well with my family who was slash is mourning. And they are doing great. 
It's easy to mourn because we can put ourselves in a situation, some of us, depending on who the person is. Oh, if my house burned down, that would feel like this, and so I can enter that space much easier because I can imagine it happening to myself. It's especially easy to mourn with people who are mourning when we can see that happening to us and we can move towards them a little bit easier. But if we're honest, sometimes rejoicing with people who rejoice is so difficult because we are so competitive as human beings. So when your coworker gets the promotion that you thought you deserved, can you rejoice with that person who is rejoicing? Right, if, you, if you're single and, and, and that, that dream of a significant other or a dating relationship or even marriage and that starts happening for other people around you and not for you, are you able to rejoice with that person who is rejoicing? When, when, when someone gets that house or gets to do that remodel or gets that car or, or whatever it would be, are you able to rejoice with that person in what they're rejoicing? It's difficult for us to live lives of being with others, both in the difficulty and in the beauty of what's happening on in their lives. Empathy takes us outside of ourselves and being next to and near someone in their moment. And there is a call on your life and my life to be the kind of people that one of the ways we react is to react with empathy, to react with wanting to be near people in any moment of their lives. The rooted reaction, number one, empathy. Second, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not be proud, verse 16, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Another way that you and I are called to react is with humility. Literally, in verse 14, this idea of blessing those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Again, these are reactions to be experienced. They aren't just, I'm going to think good thoughts about that person who just did something horrible to me. These are tangible ways to express blessing when someone has persecuted you. When I was a high school pastor here, there's a story I tell all the time. High school girl, there was a meeting at the local high school. The principal was with this group of kids, and the principal was just having a, a really, really bad day. And the principal started lashing out on the kids. And one of our students at the time in particular was sitting there and was the brunt of a lot of frustration in front of her peers. I mean, can you imagine this? Just the power differential, the principal, high school students, and this one particular student that was a part of our ministry was the one who was getting all of the harshness the embodiment of all that was frustrating. And the next day, that student went into the principal's office and brought the principal a cup of coffee and a card thanking her for the tough job it must be to be the principal. I heard that story because that year, during Easter, the principal came to Lake Avenue Church because she was aware she could have done that better. But the reaction from this disciple of Jesus was so profound. He received a blessing in the midst. It's, it's the humility that it takes 
The humility something like that takes when you are the brunt of someone's persecution, when you are the brunt of someone's frustration, to get outside of your own pain, to be humble, to respond with humility is incredibly difficult. But it's what we're called to do. Goes on to say, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't think you're superior. Be humble. Get over yourself. Again, we have 11 chapters leading up to chapter 12 of Romans where we're being reminded that, yeah, there used to be a special people, the, the Jewish people. They were the, the, the chosen people, and now uh, God has gone global. And I know you think that the, the Jews are here and, and then the Gentiles are here, but no, like God's grace is for everyone. There's an equal playing field. This is a call to humility to say it doesn't matter how it functions out there. Don't be part of that system. Be someone who can be with those in low position, whether it be in tasks or with people in your own church. Don't just sit with people who are like you. Be humble enough to move towards difference. Jesus is our example in this, who spent his life not with the kind of people one would expect the Son of God to be with, but spent his life being with people who are on the the lower part of this world. And you and I are to have the mind of Christ and the life of Christ that when we face people who are persecuting us, when we face a real person who is an enemy, that we are supposed to somehow have a reaction of humility that that person matters. And isn't that the hardest point? When I feel like when somebody is attacking me or my kid, the easiest thing for me to do is to talk about what a horrible person that is. That's not a rooted reaction. A rooted reaction says, yeah, it's painful, let's own that pain, but I have a way of living that this person is supposed to experience. This is following Jesus, brothers and sisters, humility. And finally, another reaction we're called to is this reaction of harmony or peace. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another, which is fascinating. In the Greek, what that means is live in harmony with each other. (laughs) Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone, inside, outside, everyone. Do not take revenge. Let God do what God's going to do. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. He's thirsty, give him something to drink. There's your way of living. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are radical words that go so counter to being human. Because the reality is harmony and peace is not how we're wired. Our brains go negative, our reactions go negative, and there is a call on you and me to be so rooted in Jesus that we fight for harmony and we fight for peace. And harmony and peace isn't saying uniformity. Everybody's got to think the same way. In fact, we've just gotten this whole teaching about the different gifts that God gives us. And in a world where difference drives separation, we have a narrative throughout the scripture of a God who says difference makes us whole. 
Everywhere else in the world, difference drives separation. It's the justification to get away from someone who thinks differently than you, believes something differently than you, votes differently than you. But God says, no, not in my family. In my family, there's all these different gifts. He uses the image later about the body of Christ and all these different roles and that the differences we have are meant to come together to make something beautiful. And harmony and peace has to be intentional. Harmony and peace will not happen. Left to ourselves, we will go negative. We will go separation. Difference drives away until we have a renewed mind. Difference will drive us away from one another unless we have a rooted reaction. Arrogance is the enemy of harmony. Believing, I've got the corner on how this situation should be looked at. Uh, I know I've got all these coworkers, but, but, but if they would just understand how, how I've figured this out, then, then we will get along. There's a call in our lives to live with harmony with one another. It will not just happen on its own because we're human beings and we love drama. We love to amp it up. Little moment of discomfort, moment where this doesn't, doesn't feel right, doesn't fit my understanding, and we love drama. I'm a parent, I do this all the time. Go to any PTA meeting in the world and you'll see how much we love drama. There's a different call on our life. Don't be people that create drama. Be people that fight for harmony and peace. Get over ourselves. It takes an incredible amount of humility. Incredible amount of humility to live at harmony. It takes an incredible amount of humility to say, I might not be able to understand all of this situation without you. And you. And you. And you. Everywhere else in the world, you get a justification that when... When, when there's difference, you can drive away, but not here in the church, not here at Lake Avenue Church. I think it's part of God's blessing and protection of this church. All kinds of churches, all kinds of movements, all kinds of denominations where difference drove people away from one another. But here at Lake, we're going to fight for harmony. And the uniqueness of the gifting and the uniqueness of the body and the uniqueness of life experience. I mean, I, I am a different person because of hearing Lillian's story this morning. I can't look at Cameroon on a map the same way. My heart has been changed. We need one another across difference. And as we come together across difference, we can experience peace and harmony, and that should be an automatic reaction for the follower of Jesus. Not drama, but harmony. So briefly, what does this mean for you and I? I think I've... I think I've said most of what I want to say, but when I think about this scripture and I think about us inside Lake Avenue Church and those as we leave and go live the lives we have, I have just a couple of thoughts, and one of them is this. It's still January. I think there's still room to set some goals for the kind of people we want to be in 2018. January 1st should just be off, especially if you live in Pasadena, it's just a lost day. It's not a great day to start anything. There's still football games. You should be eating whatever you want to eat that day. <laughs> See, I told you, Jenny. Um, <laughs> but my prayer for you and for me would be a year of deep-rootedness at Lake Avenue. Oh, that we, would, that we would be so rooted in Jesus and nothing else. 
that we'd be so rooted in the word of God, that we'd be so rooted in God, that that would be our priority individually and corporately at Lake Avenue Church. I want to be more close to Jesus this year than I ever have been. And I want that for you too. Because I believe that as we go deep with the Lord, that we'll be simply blown away with the work he will do through and in us. That's my first call to us, is to be rooted. But I also think that in terms of our reactions as a, as a corporate body, I think we can do a little bit better with empathy. Kara Powell, who is part of our church, leads the Fuller Youth Institute, it is an amazing book called Growing Young, and it studied all these different congregations in the United States that are doing well with ministering to people in their late teens and 20s, something we, we could do better at. And, and it, had, it characterized these commonalities between these churches, and you would be surprised at the results. It's not what you think. But one of those seven qualities is the church's ability to empathize with young people was a commonality of every congregation. And frankly, brothers and sisters, we're a church that doesn't even connect with the young people who are among us, or we're a church that likes to argue with the young people who are among us. I think we can do better with mourning with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. To sit with a 23-year-old who's got an incredible degree from college and can't even get a job at Starbucks, that should help us mourn with them, not judge them. We can do better, Lake Avenue, with empathy. I also think we can do better with harmony. Challenge for us is how do, we, how do we have harmony and peace in the midst of such rich diversity? What does harmony and peace look like without uniformity? Well, I'll tell you what, it means we stick close together. And when everything inside of us is to drive away, we move toward. And I pray that we can be that kind of community, that our reactions, when, when something happens, it doesn't, we move towards one another here at Lake. And frankly, it's the same encouragement for our lives outside of Lake. Your world needs more empathy. Your family, your workplace, those who serve your food at a restaurant, they need more empathy. They need more harmony from us. This world needs it. Everything's amped up all the time out there. And what would it look like for the followers of Jesus to be agents of empathy and humility and harmony? Would that change the world? I, I think it would. They out there need us to live this way, to react this way. These aren't things we even celebrate. Empathy, humility, harmony. I mean, I know it sounds like a cute little sermon. This is a radical way of living that is so in opposition from what we celebrate, what strength looks like, what leadership looks like. Empathy, humility, harmony. Let's change the world, Lake. God, we need your help. We don't react this way on our own. We are so human we're so sinful, we're so arrogant. We admit that to you, we have this morning and we admit it again. 
but we also declare victory over those things because of your son, Jesus. And in view of your mercy, God, we can be different. We can be transformed. And I pray that even today, that this community here gathered would have more rooted reactions to when difficulty comes. That we would experience the truth of these words in our life and the life-giving reality of being obedient to you. I pray that for each person here, myself included. And until we gather again next week, Lord, for those moments where our reactions aren't so rooted, oh, remind us of grace, take away shame and guilt, Help us to experience forgiveness and freedom, all the things that we have sung about and said this morning so we can shake the dust off our feet and go at it again. Thank you for your grace covering, even in our worst reactions, that you can make beauty from anything. Amen.